0: This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com.
1: Greetings, listeners. This is your host, Alex Jimenez. In this podcast, we will be talking about fear-free scheduling. With us on today's call is Dr. Natalie Marks, co-owner of Blum Animal Hospital, and Dr. John Talmadge, co-owner of Bigger Road Veterinary Clinic. Welcome and thank you both for joining us today. Great to be here, Alex. Thanks, Alex. So, let's go ahead and jump right in. I wanted to talk first about both not only how, but who in your practice handles and helps prepare for what would be considered a successful fear-free visit. Logistically, the modules talk about different tactics for waiting areas and about different times of day to schedule cats versus dogs and so on, but I'm sure those things can look very different depending on the size of your hospital, location, or a lot of other factors. So can you both tell me how these concepts play out for you?
2: You know, we, we do a couple things. things. Um, one, if if it's a patient that we've dealt with before, we're typically uh, trying to capture some type of emotional record. So we have some notes uh, in Cornerstone. Uh, there's a patient warning that comes up and uh, will alert us to a pet that's maybe I uh, had some fear, anxiety, and stress in the past. And so as our receptionists are making the appointments, uh, a lot of these pets we've already identified as pets that are going to require some extra, perhaps extra attention and some extra care uh, and some pre-visit, uh, either drugs or preparation by the owner. So as those are appointments, uh, as they're scheduling that, they can talk to the owner about that. If they're uncomfortable with that or if they need some help, we'll have one of our technicians uh, who will go through it as well. In addition, our technicians will sit there and review uh, the schedule for the following day to see what's what's coming up, and in some cases, uh, if they're more familiar with a pet than maybe perhaps what the doctor is or something, then we can go ahead and uh, they will uh, call the uh, owner and talk to them about the visit coming up the next day some things we can be doing. We typically schedule 20-minute appointments, um, and for most of our patients uh that we have worked with in the past, we have found this to be appropriate. We do have some patients that we know are just going to take some more time, and in those cases we will either try to uh, book them right after lunch uh to try to give us some more time or at least book them for 40 minutes, uh, just knowing that we may need a little more time with some of these pets and need to move a little slower.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of what Dr. Thomas is saying. Uh, we're doing similar practices um, in our urban practice here in Chicago, um, but there are some things that we've had to sort of adapt uh, based on our physical building as well as just how a lot of our clients either get to our practice or with their schedule. Some of our reactive dogs we find have done better at the very end of the day where the practice may not be as full of clients. And um, we have a lot of those patients waiting in their car or actually on the street or in our parking lot or um, cabbing right before the appointment so that they're not sitting in a full lobby, potentially waiting for other um, uh, rooms to open up. We know when those patients are coming and we do have a designated exam room open for them, and that's why they don't enter our practice until that exam room is open so that they have very little distraction, that everything that is going to be done with that patient hopefully can be done as much as possible in that exam room only. So especially if those dogs are dog-reactive, cat-reactive, noise-reactive, we try to minimize all of those distractions as much as possible. Um, As Alex mentioned, of course, we would love it if every lobby had a cat-friendly and dog-friendly area uh, free of visible and noise distraction. Um, That's, of course, everyone's goal. But for those that don't have that yet, what we have found that has worked, and we are also a cat-friendly certified practice, is we have a cat-friendly area that's quiet. It is away from our lobby for those cat owners that prefer for their cat to be in an elevated, quiet, visibly um, unstimulated area. If they came early for the appointment, if an exam room isn't ready for them, um, if there's a large barking dog in the lobby, um, or it, again, as we encourage and um, educate our owners and, and clients about how important the fear free initiative really is. Most of our clients now ask us for the cat friendly area well before we even have a chance to ask them. And that's helped quite a bit because we've had those cats plus or minus having gabapentin or now trazodone on board. We have those owners who have done as much as they can from a pre visit perspective to lessen that anxiety and stress. And then we also have those cats in a we hope, as stress-free of an environment as possible so that when we actually start to work with those cats and those owners, we're set up as much as we can for success.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Dr. Talmadge, you mentioned the emotional record. And for our listeners out there who may not have the same capabilities, can you talk about some of the things they might be able to do to incorporate concepts from the emotional record into their current scheduling practices?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of things. For those that uh, have a practice management uh, software system where they're doing electronic medical records, you know, a, a part of your soap ought to include an emotional record so that anybody who is seeing the pet, if it's another doctor in the practice, if it's a technician, or if it's you're seeing the pet and it's been a little while since you've seen it, as you're going through the schedule for the following day or later that day, you can at least pull up the previous soaps and take a look at what that uh, emotional health of that pet was during the visit. See what things may have worked, see what things haven't, uh, see if we've tried anything, see if we had some suggestions for the owner. But I think that ought to be incorporated at, at least into part of the soap from the previous visit. If it's a handwritten method, you can do the same thing. Um, I do believe that, uh, at the very least, uh, there's some work being done on an emotional, uh, an, an emotional score, if you will, much like a pain score, that we can uh, uh, assign a patient a score of how the visit went and so forth. And so we should be including those things in, in, in the SOAP and the medical record.
1: That's correct. And for those not familiar with what Dr. Talmadge is referring to, we do have a task force working on an emotional score that has yet to receive a finalized name, but it's definitely worth keeping an eye out for more updates from us as those discussions continue. Back to the question, Dr. Marks, you have experience with this as well, including staff involved with that task force. Can you talk about how your practice approaches this?
0: We've done some similar strategies to what Dr. Talmadge has mentioned at his practice, about making notes in where our practice management software right al- right now allows us to make just kind of a patient note, as well as we have a um in our check in form for our soap, we have right now kind of created an, a new form um that allows us to put sort of a personality or a more emotional score just from our practice that of course will change once um, something universal has been decided upon and, and certainly spread to all of the fear-free certified veterinarians. Um There are task force out there working with the large practice management software groups to, again, kind of make a universally kind of standard, so, so to speak, about emotional record. But I think the other important thing about the emotional record is we want to be trending this in a no way especially to clients, you know, look at the first visit. Look at what your dog or cat's emotional score or emotional um, record, you know, really described. And after working on strategies at home, working on strategies in the practice, and having everyone on the team be on board, especially the owner, let's see how much improvement we've seen coming to the veterinary practice with your dog or cat's um, fear, anxiety, and stress Um, Sort of reduced, but we hope eliminated.
1: Agreed. And you touched on a couple things there. Knowing what's in the emotional record can really set you up for better future appointments. And you mentioned working on strategies at home with the client, which is also a really important part of this. I think it's worth even briefly addressing pre appointment scheduling practices. So while keeping in mind that the subject of specific pre appointment tactics is probably worthy of a separate conversation onto itself. I would like to ask, how are those tactics generally communicated to the client? A
0: couple different ways we can do that. So if this is a cat that we've already seen previously and has had a very stressful visit, the veterinarians in our practice will communicate at the end of that visit some of these strategies to try for next time, even if that next visit is a six-month wellness Well, you know, far from now. And then when our we call our veterinary care coordinators, our reception team, is getting ready to prepare for our next visit and a few days before, if there is a cat that needs not only these strategies but let's say also some sedation or other additional uh, techniques to help with that visit, we will communicate that directly via phone. We also, which we have found very helpful, have sent out e-blasts to our CAT clients, communicating the strategy so that they have it in written form all the time and can refer back to that, as well as linking it on our website.
2: Well, I, and I agree with Dr. Marks. I think the uh, planning for a fear-free visit starts at home. I think the owners need to be involved with it. and. Uh, having that conversation, uh, with the owners, uh, on, uh, one of the prior visits, if something, if, uh, obviously the pet has been severely stressed, is the time to start that conversation. Uh, one of the things we do also, uh, uh, if we see a, a new patient for the first time, and, uh, it's obvious that the, that the pet is suffering from a lot of fear, anxiety, and stress, We may talk to the owner, and and as I've said in the past, we'll call an audible and tell the owner we're not going to be able to do some of the things today uh, because we do need to uh, do some things that will help reduce that pet's fear and anxiety. And so, you know, we're not going to draw blood today or we're not going to vaccinate today, but what we'd like the owner to do is to uh, let's let's start that pet on some pre-visit medications to help reduce the fear, anxiety, and stress on the next visit. Or do some things if it's a cat with a cat carrier and things like that to try to help with that. So uh, we will we will try to do some of those.
1: Uh, so we've talked a lot about what happens before the appointment. We've talked a little bit about scheduling the appointment and some of the things that go into that. Doctor Talmadge, you mentioned this audible earlier that I really like. And so there's also this concept of rescheduling when you have that really tough case and it's just not going the way that it needs to go, both for the health of the patient and actually getting anything done. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that works with the scheduling process and getting them back in and even some of the things that you communicate to the client in cases like that?
2: Sure. Uh, in fact we we we've got a case of that coming in uh, right when we when we're done with this podcast believe it or not Alex. Uh Percy who is a 6-year-old uh, uh uh mixed breed dog. And we saw him for the first time uh, about a week ago and uh, Percy uh, had has not had some uh real pleasurable visits going to the veterinarian. Uh and quote unquote gets taken to the back so that they can do some things on Percy. And it was pretty obvious when Percy came to the office just really fearful shaking. Uh uh just wasn't going to let us do much with him at all. And so we really we spent the, the uh the initial office visit last week just getting to know Percy, uh, taking him up our treat ladder and uh, found out that he really liked hot dogs. <laughs> and uh, we just worked yeah, uh, w- yeah we worked with him uh during the visit just just uh just trying to to get him uh just comfortable being there and realizing not necessarily everything you know bad things are going to happen but we also talked to the owner and had a heart to heart talk to her about you know uh what we really needed to do uh is get Percy on some pre-visit drugs to get him calmed down we may even require sedation. We don't know. But it was obvious that we weren't going to be able to do anything on the visit last time without really forcing things with Percy and making things even worse than they have been. The owner was really grateful, and so, yes, well, Percy had been scheduled for some vaccines and for a heartworm test. Uh, He went home, just had some hot dogs, and but also with a script uh, for some pre-visit drugs. We're going to start him on some gabapentin. We're going to see if that's enough this time to at least uh, get some vaccines into him, and if it's not, then we will talk to the owner about the next steps in terms of what we need to be doing. That, that owner had no issues with it. She was, she was pleased. In fact, she sent a uh, on our Facebook p- uh, page, posted a thank you note about her visit, about how how good it was uh, for the pets, how much more comfortable she was, and that uh, she was looking forward to trying to work with us and and making these things a lot easier on Percy. So we're going to find out this afternoon with the next steps uh, how they're working and what else needs to be done.
1: I know it depends on a lot of factors, but when you reschedule in a case like that, how far out do you go?
2: You know, uh, it, it depends on what the pet is coming in for and if it's rather urgent or not. So, I mean, if, if we can get it in within a week, we'd like to do that. But if, if 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 a client's schedule says, hey, it's going to be two or three weeks, we're happy to work with them unless it's uh, unless there's a medical reason that we need to do it sooner.
1: Right. Dr. Marks, Can you tell us, before we wrap up today, sort of a final question, are there any challenges or sort of last tips that you can share with our listeners in terms of fear-free scheduling in general?
0: I think uh, the one challenge we have had from time to time is just, again, not having that standardized emotional record. And because it is a newer initiative, um, we have a fairly large a reception or care coordinator team, and um, getting everybody trained and consistent in looking ahead of time to see if that patient needs extra time, um, needs to go into an exam room right away, prefers evening appointment, d- making sure we have those subtleties ironed out. And I think that's, again, any new strategy or new protocol, it takes some time for everyone to truly be consistent and, and always following through, right? It's just a, the meaning of an SOP. So we're, we're waiting for that standardized emotional record. And I think that will help get some of the glitches out in um, some of the special needs in emotional record.
1: Right. And I think like a lot of the things that we've talked about on these podcasts and with Fear Free, that it is an example of something that takes time and different practices will implement different concepts at different paces. So with that said, I would like to thank you both for your time. Uh, Dr. Talmadge, good luck with
2: Percy. Percy. Yes, (laughs) Percy. Great. Uh, Hopefully so. We'll see.
1: Great. I'm I'm sure it'll go great. And for our listeners out there, as always, if you are already a certified professional, go check out vetfolio.com for additional resources and our toolbox that is exclusive only to certified fear-free professionals. And for those that are not certified or want to learn more, go to fearfreepets.com. Again, Dr. Marks and Dr. Talmage, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Alex.